Well, good morning in church again. How are you? Good morning. Thank you, Jeff. Hey, listen, grab your Bibles if you will. Let's go to Romans chapter 8 this morning. Romans chapter 8, and you're going to need your copy of God's Word or a device, uh, whatever you read your scriptures on. We are looking at a lot of scripture today, but Romans 8 verse 1 is where we're going to be, thank you, Hayes, uh, is where we're going to be in just a moment as we wrap up this series on living in the Holy Spirit. And I got to be honest, I'm sad to say that. I have enjoyed this series. I personally have learned a lot. I hope you have too. Uh, but we're, it's time for us to kind of wrap this up and move on into some new things for the summer. But I don't want us to forget or leave behind all the things that we've learned so far. And so as we kind of look back at all the things that we've learned and begin to really move ahead, I want to make sure we grab all that the Lord has given to us. Romans chapter 8, uh, starting at verse 1 is where we'll be in a second. Romans chapter 8. Verse 1 is where we'll be in a moment. While you're turning there, uh, how many of you are movie people? As in, you like to go to the movies. Anybody? Yes, like your theater people. I don't know if you've been back to the theater yet. Theaters are back open. Uh, Allison actually made her way back to the theater this past week. That is her happy place, by the way. Uh, she loves just going. She honestly doesn't care what's on the screen. She just likes going to the theater and just the whole experience that is there with the big screen and the dark room. I mean, it's just a, it's kind of fun to go to the movie theater and people are starting to kind of flood back in to all of of that, uh, but I don't know about you, as we all go back into the theater and go back and experience all these things again, uh, there's always been this weird thing that happens in movie theaters. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but when people go into movie theaters, they have these amazing, epic experiences. Maybe you've had some of them too, uh, where people walk in, they sit down in a seat, and, and over the next two hours, they will laugh, they will cry, they will, they will be scared, they'll be tense, they'll be on the edge of their seat, they will have profound experiences. I mean, it will be amazing. And after two hours of that, they will walk out of the room as normal people. You ever notice that? Is that not odd? I mean, because listen, it's, it's a profound thing. I actually, I'm a very active movie watcher. Allison says I'm half the fun when we go to the movies because I don't, this probably shocks you. But I mean, like, I, I just, I move a lot. Like, I'm gonna be excited. I'm, ah, I have stood up and talked to the screen before. I mean, I just, I'm a very active movie watcher. I get caught up into it. It is an amazing experience. But as soon as the lights come up, the credits roll, you walk out and you hit a bright parking lot and you go, oh, great, let's go home. As if nothing has ever happened. And why is that? Like, why did we just walk out just completely nonplussed after this big experience? There's lots of reasons. Number one, it's just entertainment, right? I mean, it's not real. It's a movie. We went to be entertained. We got entertained. We got what we paid for. Secondly, that's all back there. It's one thing when you're in this room and you've got this screen to immerse you and all the sound that's overwhelming you and they keep it dark so you can be in this experience. But man, once you open the doors of the theater back in the real world, it just all intrudes. You go, oh, that, that's all just back in there. And so we leave the same way that we came in. I think there's a danger for us as we end out this series and we end up in another series of just experiencing and enjoying all that the Lord has taught us about the Holy Spirit, but now that the series is ending, we just kind of walk in our summer and say, okay, great, what's next? As if nothing has ever happened. Even though maybe any of us have had incredible experiences or you've learned some incredible things or you've had your eyes open to, to things you've never seen before, we can say, wow, that was amazing, that was incredible, and then walk forward and leave all of that behind. But this is not entertainment. 
This is not trapped here in this room. The Holy Spirit does not simply live here on Sundays. He doesn't live in the four walls of a sanctuary. No, what we've learned is that we are to live in the Spirit. Our whole lives, day in and day out, everywhere we go, we are to literally live in a life with the Holy Spirit who indwells us. And so the question we need to ask this morning is the same one we've been asking all series is how are we going to live in the Holy Spirit? As we move into the summer, as we go on to the next year and the rest of our lives, how are we going to live in the Holy Spirit? And so to do that and to help us understand that today, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 8. Uh, Romans chapter 8 is one of my favorite passages of scripture. Uh, I actually did a mini series just on Romans chapter 8 before. Uh, There are a ton of bedrock truths in Romans chapter 8. We've referenced many of those verses in this series as we've gone through it. Uh, We referenced a couple already. Hayes just mentioned a couple as we were going through. It is a banner text. But as I went back through Romans chapter 8, I began to notice something. You cannot understand Romans chapter 8 without understanding the Holy Spirit. There are 20 references to the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 8 alone. There's only 39 verses. That means every other verse has a reference to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is literally the connective tissue that makes this chapter work. For all of the amazing truths, for all the things that we learn... Well, that's what it was. All right, so it was a bug. He was over here. He was very excited about the scriptures. So, but not anymore. Um, gotta get the scripture fast, man. You never know what's gonna happen. All right, so well, that's new. I've never had a bug land on my head before in a service. Wow, 25 years I hadn't had that. That's new. I'm gonna write that down. Moving on. All right, so listen, you can't understand this passage without the Holy Spirit. And so, listen, what I want us to do is, and I'm going to do something interesting here today, we're actually going to read the entire chapter. I normally don't read this long of a section of text unbroken, but we're going to read the entire thing. Some of you go, that is a lot. All right, look, that's 39 verses, but here's what I want you to see. You're going to recognize verses that you know. You're going to hear things that maybe you've heard throughout this series, but I don't just want you to get hung up on a single verse or a single place. I want you to begin to look for how the Holy Spirit weaves all of this together, how our understanding of the Holy Spirit is necessary for all of this to work. We've learned about all the amazing things that the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives and how important he is. I want you to see that as we read this through, and then we're going to kind of break this down for how this is going to work in our lives. And so... Uh, Let's really kind of buckle in. Remember, we're we're looking big picture here, not just down into the details, but see if you can uh, just kind of watch the Holy Spirit moving through this text. So here we are, Romans chapter one, starting in verse verse chapter eight, starting in verse one. Listen to what it says. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. 
For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees, but if we hope for what we do not yet see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charging? It's God's elect. It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's encouraging, is it not? 
There's a lot of things to like in Romans chapter 8. But do you see the Holy Spirit weaving through all of it? We cannot understand our reality without understanding the role of the Holy Spirit in our life. And so I really want to kind of get that big picture this morning and quickly just look at our, our past, our future, and then how that is going to play into our present. First off, let's notice how the Holy Spirit grounds us in our past. Paul, all through this letter to the Romans, has been building the gospel. He has been showing us our need for the gospel. Everyone, we're all alike, bound under sin and death. But Jesus Christ has come, the very Son of God, who while we were still sinners, gave his life for us. And you and I have salvation because of who he is and what he has done. He has conquered death, hell, and the grave, rose again, lives today, and by faith in him, because of his grace in us, we can have eternal life in Jesus Christ. Amen. This is what binds us together. Even though we're all different, even though we have different backgrounds, we have different personalities, different giftings, the one thing that can unify a diverse group like this is the fact that we have surrendered our life to Jesus Christ, that we were all sinners and Jesus died for us. He unifies us in his one spirit. But how do you know that? How do you know that the Holy Spirit is in you? Well, because he has made us one. I'm gonna put some of these verses up on the screen and all these are gonna be from Romans chapter eight. Look at verses 14 through 16. He says, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. You didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. When you and I became Christians, we did not become adherents to a certain theology. We did not simply become members of a group. You and I were transformed. We were adopted into God himself. He says, I call you son. I call you daughter. You are now a part of my family. I have made you mine. So much that I'm gonna put my very spirit in you. This is the transformation that occurs in us. He says, I want you to be in my family. You are mine. And the presence of the Holy Spirit is the proof of that. Look at verse 23. Notice what he says here. This is not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons and redemption of our bodies. Look at that word, first fruits. He says, listen, I have put my Spirit in you as a first fruits. That word can also mean kind of like a, like a deposit, a down payment, a guarantee. We don't have the fullness of our salvation yet, but he says, listen, I need you to know that you are saved. I don't want you to doubt that you are a son or a daughter of God, and therefore, I'm gonna put my very spirit in you. You and I can know that we are saved because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Over the course of this series, if you've begun to see him moving, you've begun to hear him leading you, you've begun to interact with him, you can recognize, wait a minute, the Holy Spirit is in me. I'm still broken, I still got issues, but I can absolutely tell that the first fruits, the Holy Spirit is in me. You don't ever have to worry about losing your salvation or you're gonna be cast away. I can know that, listen, I have full salvation. I put my trust in Jesus Christ and he is trustworthy. And where's the proof? Because the Holy Spirit is living in me. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, yeah, we got questions. You should have serious concerns 
But when you recognize that the Holy Spirit is in you, you are seeing that transformation. You are seeing that change over time. You are seeing him move in your life. I mean, it gives us confidence of understanding that God is really in me. I am saved. Look at verse one. Notice what it says here. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the, what's that? Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. When you and I put our faith in Jesus, he says, listen, I'm gonna take my very spirit, the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ. It is literally God himself coming to live inside of you This helps us be grounded in the past. I am saved because what a Christ has done. When I surrendered my life to him, I have salvation in him. It's the spirit who gives us confidence in this. But it's not just our past, it's our future. Look, we don't have the fullness of all this yet. If you read Romans chapter seven, right before Romans chapter eight, Paul will himself talk about his own struggles of look, listen, there's things I wanna do that I don't do and things I don't wanna do that I still do. I'm still wrestling with this. I'm still fighting through this. How can I know that I am saved when I am still, in many ways, still changing, still struggling with this? And Paul's gonna tell us, listen, you need to understand there's no condemnation because the Holy Spirit is in you, but he's not done yet. Go back to verse 23, and let's look at this again. Same verse, uh, but look at verse 23 again. And not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. That same word, first fruits, tells us something else. It is the guarantee, the down posit, the, 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 the proof that God is in us, but it's just a down payment. There's more to come. There's more life to be given. There's more fullness to be found. You and I don't have the full redemption of our bodies yet. Some of you are like, praise the Lord for that. Listen, there's gonna be a change. There's gonna be a transformation. We are still wrestling now, but there comes a day when we won't have to wrestle anymore. And so we are waiting eagerly in hope for the fullness of our salvation. That is what is coming in the future. We can know without a doubt that this is coming down the pike. He is with us now, but there's a destination that we are heading towards. Look at verse 18. He'll say something very similar. Again, this is all in the same chapter. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. That means we don't see it all yet. There's more to come. There's more that he is bringing to us. This life is not simply about survival. This life is not just about enduring. We're not just waiting idly. No, the Holy Spirit has a destination in mind. He is taking us somewhere. He says, listen, what I began in you, I will carry it on to the day of completion in Christ Jesus. I am taking you somewhere to the place where you will be like me, where you'll be able to live with me. But we are moving. The Holy Spirit is doing something. He is carrying us all in a very specific direction. But what is that direction? What should this look like? Well, he's gonna tell us that in verse 29. He says, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. What is the Holy Spirit doing in this meantime? Where is he taking us? He says this, I want you to be conformed in the image of Jesus. 
I want every single person here, every single believer, I want you to be like Jesus. Now that sounds great and flowery on a Sunday morning, but what does that look like in my life? What does that actually mean? Well, we should already know. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is a picture of Jesus Christ. When the Holy Spirit is birthing spiritual fruit in our lives, don't you see a transformation is occurring where we are slowly over time being conformed into the image of Jesus. And you and I don't get an appetizer plate of this. We don't just get a little taste of this. He goes, no, you get all the fruit. I want all of these to be displayed in you and I will not rest until this occurs. God says there is a glorious future that when you and I enter into glory, Jesus Christ is gonna have brothers and sisters who look like him because of the powerful work of the Holy Spirit in and through us. Don't you understand? There's a future he's taking us towards. There's a place he is moving us towards. And so by the Holy Spirit, I can have confidence in my past. I am saved. That's not changing. I can have confidence of my future. He is moving me inexorably towards that future. He will carry me on through all the ups and downs of life to that destination. But that now leaves us in the present. So what does that mean for the here and now? What does it look like for us to live in the Holy Spirit today? Because the only place you and I truly live is in the present. You can't go live in the past. It's done. It's frozen. You can't get back there. You will ultimately live in the present, but you don't ever actually get to, or the future rather, but you don't ever actually get there. You're you're always in the present. And so the real point for us is to learn how do we live in the Holy Spirit in real time, right now, day in and day out. What does that look like for all of our time on earth, for all of our time in this life, What does it look like to live in the Holy Spirit? Look, we've learned the Holy Spirit will lead us. He will fill us. He will guide us. He will empower us. He has gifted us with gifts that he will empower to do more than we ever could on our own. He will help us to join him in his work. We've seen how the Holy Spirit does all of these things, but are we gonna live in him? Or or we would just kind of fumble through, ignorant of all of his designs, He's inviting us into his life. May we live in Christ through the Holy Spirit. So let me give you five ways uh, that are gonna help us to do this. Five kind of big picture ways as we round out this series that can really help us to do this. First one is this. We can live beholden to the Spirit. We can live beholden to the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 12. Notice what he says. He says, so then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Look at this word debtors. He says, we're debtors. Who are we debtors to? Well, we will forever be in debt to the Lord. He has done for us what we could never repay him for. When we were lost, when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, Jesus paid our penalty of death. He gave his very life. And so literally, we are not our own. We were bought with a price. We will forever be in debt to the Lord to say, say, say Jesus, I, I can't repay you, but what we're debtors. And so, Lord, I'm going to live beholden to you to say, I have to follow you. The problem is that for many of us, and probably in fact most of us, we find ourselves not beholden to the Spirit, but instead beholden to the flesh. Paul says, we're not debtors to the flesh, but sometimes we live that way, do we not? 
Think about this. Think about the last time you said this. Well, well, I have to. Think about what you were talking about last time you said, but I got to. I have to. I mean, I have to do this. What, what are the things that we have to do? Usually, whatever we find at the end of that statement is going to be the flesh. Well, I have to make this phone call. I have to take this phone call. I mean, I have to. My identity is in my work. I have to take this phone call. I can't possibly not take this phone call. I have to do that. Don't you understand? I mean, we have to buy this. We have to. Everybody else bought it. And so we have to. We got to keep up with the Joneses. We got to buy that. They have one. That means we have to. We can't not do that. I have to eat this. Don't you understand? I can't possibly change my diet. I can't change my eating habits. It's not possible. That's not even, I can't even think about, I have to eat this. I can't think about a life where I can't eat this or drink this. I have to. I have to have this. What, what are the things in life where we say I have to? And usually what you'll find at the end of that is our flesh, our desires, our pride, our will, ourselves will typically find us. But the flesh always leads to sin and death, always. Uh, the flesh always sounds like it's innocent on the surface, but we're old enough now, we know that's not true, right? Or he, our flesh will always tell us something to, to just give us an excuse to, to run off into temptation, but it's also he's gonna lead to sin and death, whereas the Holy Spirit wants to lead us into life. So what happens if we just change it and say, whatever God says, we just go, well, I have to. I mean, I can't not follow the Holy Spirit, I mean, I have to. I have to listen to the Lord. I have to follow Jesus. I mean, I, mean, I have to, to spend time with him. I have to. What happens when we live beholden to the Spirit? I say, Lord, I am yours completely, not just in part, but in the whole. Lord, I am a debtor to you, and you have all of me. I have to. I have to follow after you. What happens when that becomes our first priority in life? So the first thing, we can live beholden to the Spirit. Here's the second thing. We can set our minds on the Spirit. We can set our minds on the Spirit. Look at verses five and six. He continues on. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. And here's what I like about the way he's phrasing this. He could have said something different. He could have just said, so obey the Spirit. Just obey the law of the Spirit. It's very cut and dry, makes a whole lot of sense, but he doesn't simply say, obey the Spirit. He says, set your mind on the Spirit. He says, put your focus on the Spirit. Live in him. Remember, he's a person. He's not a force. He's not a magic. He's not a power. He's not a mood. He's not a feeling. He's a person. So what happens when I set my mind on him? I wake up thinking about him. I walk through my day interacting with him. I recognize that my whole life is bound up in him. What happens when I live in the spirit by simply setting my mind on the spirit? All of a sudden, it becomes easier to have a relationship with Jesus. It stops being so, so weird but to say, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Why? Because I've begun to see the interactions of the spirit in my day-to-day life. Honestly, I hope that's been one of the impacts of this series is that you just are aware of the Holy Spirit more. Have you become more aware of his presence? We sang that lie. Did you hear that earlier? Maybe become more aware of your presence. I kind of like, it's been like, like, like seeing cars on the road you didn't see before. Has this ever happened to you where you buy a new car and then you realize that everybody in the universe also bought your car? You ever had that happen? 
Well, you, you're like, I'm in the mood for a new car. So you buy a car, and let's say you had an Accord, and now you're going to get a Camry. Remember that time when everybody bought a Camry? Remember that? And so you bought a Camry. You're so excited about your car, and you start driving around, and you look around and notice there's four billion Camrys on the road. Like, isn't it weird that we all bought Camrys on the same day? This is crazy. Well, they didn't buy it all the same day. Those Camrys were there yesterday. You're just finally looking for them. You see them. You weren't looking for them earlier, and so they were driving around you 24-7, didn't see them at all, but now that you own one, you go, oh, wait, there's one, and there's one, and there's one. You begin to see that they're all around you. Uh, Look, the Holy Spirit's been here the whole time. He didn't show up in this series. He's not gonna leave next series. He's been here the whole time. I'm hoping that as we've walked through this series, you've begun to recognize, wait, he is moving, Wait, he is more present than I thought. Wait a minute, he is speaking more than I thought. He can lead me more than I thought. He is empowering me. Wait, it wasn't like I expected, but I see the movement of the Holy Spirit. God is moving in my life. I can live in Jesus. Okay, you see it. How are you gonna continue to see that? By setting your mind on the Spirit. By saying, Lord, I want to make sure I am following you, living in you day in and day out. I can set my mind on the Spirit. Here's the third thing. We can trust in the Spirit. We can put our trust in the Spirit. And this is unbelievably encouraging. Look at verse 26. He says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we don't know what we, to pr- we, we don't know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Look, I I think for all believers, once we are saved, there's this constant temptation to think that now that you're saved, you gotta figure it out. Okay, God saved you. He, He died on the cross, cleansed you of all your sins, and now he basically says, okay, you're clean now. Don't screw it up again, all right? That's your job, just don't screw it up. And we're like, okay, I'm not gonna do that. Jesus, I'm in this. I'm gonna follow after you until we invariably screw it up. We mess up. We don't get it right. What happens when even worse, that thing you said you were never gonna do again, you then go and do again. And there's this nagging fear at the back of your brain that, I mean, God didn't really meant what he said. That that grace was, was seasonal. It wasn't for all time. It was for some sins, but not others. Or maybe a certain amount of sin, but no more. And sooner or later, God's gonna get tired of us and he's gonna give up on us. Isn't it great to know the Holy Spirit is fully aware of our weaknesses? That when he died for us, he knew about all that. He knew that we were gonna mess it up. He knew that we wouldn't get it all right. He knew that we would fail again and again. And he still chose to give his life for us. He still chose to chase after us. He says, even when you fail, don't you understand? I will help you in your weaknesses. He gets specific. He says, we don't even know how to pray for it as we ought. You ever felt that way? You ever felt like you just don't know how to pray? Has anybody ever felt that way? Like, I think I'm messing this up. Like, clearly, I don't understand how to pray. Like, you think we should know how to pray? And like, going, I think it's broken. I don't know how to do the prayer thing anymore. Here's what the Holy Spirit just said. When you and I don't pray right, and sometimes we don't, the Holy Spirit simply looks at you and goes, it's all right, I got it, I got it. And then he prays for you. Isn't that great? The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Even when we absolutely mess it up, he is aware and says, I can fill in the gaps. I'm here for you. It doesn't bother him. 
He's already fully aware. Jesus has already paid for all of our sins, not some of them, past, present, and future. And he says, I will help you in all of your weaknesses. So in all the ways that we're still struggling, in all the ways that we still wrestle with the flesh or wrestle with the world or wrestle with the enemy, the Holy Spirit comes in and he helps us in our weaknesses. This is unbelievably helpful if you and I will We'll simply trust this. Can we trust that Jesus is doing this? Look at verse 34. Same passage, by the way. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So Jesus Christ is interceding for us. Wait, I thought it was the Holy Spirit who's interceding for us. So which one is it? Yes! It's the Lord. Look, we're dancing into the mystery of the Trinity. This is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is Jesus who is in you. They're not pitted against one another. This is the one God who by his one spirit is in us, indwelling us, helping us in our weakness and he will not abandon you no matter how far you have drifted. Look, I got, I got a three-year-old right now. Y'all are gonna hear stories about this more than you ever wanted. Uh, but look, having a three-year-old is interesting. I'm learning. It's a little bit challenging at times. I have a three-year-old who, well, I mean, she's a tiny human who's not formed yet. And so she cries a lot. She falls down. She demands things that will hurt her loudly and repeatedly. She asks why. We're in a why phase right now. Why, 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 why? To which I will dutifully give her answers. And after I've explained it, do you know what she says to me? But why? And it continues on. This just goes on and on. And I had to recognize, wait a minute, that she's got a three-year-old brain. I could tell her exactly what she wants to know. She can't understand me fully yet. And even though she falls down, she cries, and she demands things that, that will ultimately hurt her, that I will deny her, there's not a day in this life that I would ever abandon her. I would give anything for her. I would lay down my life for her. And if you and I, as flawed parents, know how to do that for our children, how much more is the Heavenly Father doing that for us? That when you and I fall down and cry and demand things that will hurt us, and we say, why, and why, and why, and he tells us, but we can't understand, do you recognize that he will never, ever, ever abandon us? Because he loves us even in the midst of our weaknesses. When you and I face our weaknesses, it's the Holy Spirit that ought to remind you, man, I have hope in Jesus Christ because the Holy Spirit is in me. He helps us in our weaknesses. Fourthly, we can endure suffering through his spirit. Look at verses 17 and 18. And if children and heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now look, this is one of the hardest things about living in the world, is that when we experience the Lord and we know his love and we know he is with us, other questions come up. Like, well, if God is in me, then aren't I immune to all that? Or if God loves me so much, then why would he allow that to happen? And these are questions that have vexed humanity since the beginning of time, and God can give us answers, but we can't fully understand these questions. 
But what I love about the Bible is the Bible doesn't skirt away from these. The Bible just tells us that in this world we will have trouble. In this chapter that talks all about victory, he says, but we're gonna suffer with Jesus Christ. We are gonna suffer in this life. Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus himself boldly says, anybody who wants to come after me must take up his cross daily and follow after me. You must take up your own execution daily to follow after me. We have a suffering savior, not an ever conquering, never, never having pain, always victorious king. No, we, we watch him suffer in this life, and if we follow after him, then we will too. There is coming a victory. There is coming a fulfillment. There is coming a day when all that is fully conquered, but in this life, we will suffer. But God doesn't abandon us in our sufferings. He does not ignore us in our sufferings or just brush off all of our questions. No, he meets us in the midst of them. It is his very Holy Spirit that helps us to endure in the midst of suffering. Jesus Christ endured more temptation than any other human being ever has. He had more thrown at him in a human body than any human body has ever experienced. And remember, he is God. It's the Holy Spirit in him that empowers him to overcome and to endure all of that suffering. And the same spirit that enabled Jesus to overcome and endure suffering is the same spirit that lives in you. You have help when we suffer. We've all had to suffer in this past year and a half in a multitude of ways. We're just now becoming to the grips of what all that means and sadly more suffering will come But in all of these things, we can endure through, not our willpower, but through the Holy Spirit. But then finally, we can live in the love of the Spirit. Look at verses 37 and 39. He says, no, in all these things, those things, by the way, are a famine, nakedness, danger, sword. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is a love that comes through our Savior that overcomes everything. If you don't get anything in this series, then understand that the Holy Spirit loves you. God loves you. He is not an impersonal force. He is not just a feeling or a mood or a power. He's a person. And that person loves you immensely. And that is true. That transforms everything. So no matter who you are or where you've been or what you've done, do you not understand there's a God who knows and cares and loves you and you can experience that love not just back in your past when you got saved not just in your future when you and I live with him forever but in the present right now through his indwelling Holy Spirit we can experience the love of God in Jesus Christ through his spirit what would it look like to live in the spirit so do this for me bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment
We're gonna worship in just a second. And you have an opportunity not just to hear a song and not even just to sing a song, but to interact with the Holy Spirit. You have an opportunity to trust him, to set your mind on him, to surrender to him. You might be here today and say, Adam, listen, I've been listening to this series, but I, I don't see those things that you see. I haven't seen that transformation. I, don't, I, I can't say that I, I know those things. So what if today might be the day you just gave your life to Jesus Christ? You stop trying to fix it on your own and recognize that there's a God who loves you, who gave his very life for you, who even now is chasing after you, speaking to you. He wants to put his very life in you through the Holy Spirit. What if right now you put your faith in him and just surrendered? Entrust your complete life to him today. What would that look like? Even right now you can do that. Just, just tell him, say, God, I believe, I trust. I give my life to you. What would that look like? Give it to him even right now. But for all of us, as we get ready to worship and close out this series and move into new things, can we just surrender to it the Spirit and say thank you? So Heavenly Father, we're about to sing, we're about to hear. We're just so grateful that we're not just singing about you, but you're actually present. We're not recalling things that from our distant past, but, but you're right here right now in our real time, in the midst of all of our chaos and our problems and our failures and even our future and our dreams and our desires, God, you're here now. And so help us. God, we need you. I'm so thankful you don't turn anybody away. So bless us, help us. We choose to live in you. We love you, Lord. Hear us now as we sing. In your name we pray, amen.